Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. While we try hard to stick to language for all ages, listeners should know that this podcast will include mature themes and scenes. This actual play uses the Delta Green role-playing game rules by Arc Dream Publishing. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and etc., which may bear resemblance to entities living or dead, is strictly coincidental. My name is Michael Diamond, and for tonight's game, I will be your handler. You're all cordially invited to a night at the opera. Good evening, and thank you again for joining us on another episode of the Old Ways Podcast. I am your handler, Michael Diamond. And tonight, we'll be giving you another installment in our Delta Green Prelude series. This one, I am joined by... Hi, this is Allie, and I am playing Joanne Hart. Joanne Hart. So, is it off the top? Let's just get a few things correct. Is it Ms. or Mrs. Hart? Ms. It's Ms. Hart. Very good. And who do you work for, Ms. Hart? I work for the... O&I, the Office of Naval Intel. All right. And uh, within the O&I, what group specifically would you be a member of? Pacific Command. Correct. So your job tracks naval assets of foreign militaries in the Pacific and Indian Ocean. And you are particularly interested in the trafficking of or the traffic therein of, we'll just say foreign submarines. That's a, that's a big thing on your list. Because at this point, everybody's probably seen Hunt for Red October. And just like the previous preludes, well, we are going to begin play in the year 1995. So as we raise the curtain tonight, it's March in D.C. So you are sitting in your car. A line stretches from... One horizon in your rear view to the other out the windshield of cars who are trying to go places. And all you're trying to do is get to work today. Local radio has some pop song on that you've managed to dial back the volume on because it's just a little too awake. You're not there yet. You haven't made it awake just yet. You usually get there about three quarters of the way through your commute and can walk into work ready and raring to go. It's about... 50 or so degrees by the time you're getting close to work at this point. So the windows are probably still up, I'd imagine. What kind of car do you drive, Miss Hart? I have a 1990 Subaru Legacy. Oh, interesting. Interesting driving a foreign car, are you? Yep. All right. So the nice thing about a uh, Subaru, I assume the all-wheel drive version. Yes. Is that you'd be able to sort of get around to the DC area. And when things get nasty during the winter, you don't have an issue with a lot of the snow. It's a Subaru, so it's a 
boxer style engine. So it gets really great gas mileage and it provides you generally speaking with enough horsepower to get around town where you, where you need to go. Well, the gas mileage is important because my commute is a little on the longer side. Yeah. So speaking of your commute, you are likely living not in DC. So I guess the question would be is what space outside of DC are you living in? I guess realistically, how far do you think my drive would be? Well, I think it's reasonable to say that you might live in Alexandria, Virginia. Well, that's pretty close, actually. It's probably about a 40-minute commute. On some days, you might decide to go what is, quote-unquote, the long way around over the Woodrow-Wilson Bridge and then come, come around from the east. So you're commuting to work in your Subaru, and... You've probably been, we'll just say cut off is sort of a, a harsh term for it, but you've had a couple of people from the left that continue to merge right in front of you to get to exits. You know for a fact that they could have simply just planned ahead and they didn't or juggling a cup of coffee. Uh, you see one guy who's reading the newspaper and trying to drive. Well, traffic's really slow right now. So, of course, he's trying to catch up on the news before he gets to wherever he's going to. Yeah, and the, the issue with the news stations here in the D.C. area is that there are a lot of them that are sort of just the, the loud, abrasive talk shows. And so you get a lot of what you would call, you know, just blabbermouth radio where they want to talk and yell opinion. It's probably not good for your ears long term. No, and it's a lot of regurgitated. doesn't really matter what station I'm listening to. It's a lot of the same thing all over the place, and it's just simpler to really not listen to any of the morning shows. Just flip around until I hear music and switch channels after that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Getting into work in the next, say, 20 or so minutes doesn't put you too terribly far behind schedule. You do have to go through the normal check-in process. So not only just at the parking areas, but then, of course, at the buildings themselves. Um, so the building that you work at is... We'll just say playfully, perhaps purposefully hidden behind some very, very large trees. So you end up eventually on Sutland Parkway and you turn into and off of Silver Hill Road, which takes you to this long, purposefully drawn out road that goes to an enormous facility. The building is in a bit of a W shape. So there's a centralized portion at the middle part of the W, and then the wings that run off of that, the two W arms, they are where most of the day-to-day -day office work happens at. The central portion of the building is mostly for conferences, meetings, and then the lower levels of it are where some of the more important intelligent work happens at. Understood. Uh, so after parking, you approach the building, you have a key card to get into the building, it's required. And then after key card access, you are vetted through metal detectors and security. So one of the members of security here, his name is Charlie, and he always has a sort of affection for getting people through security as fast as possible. He understands that people have really important work to do. He understands that process is part of it. But you also know that if you line up in Charlie's line, you're likely to get through a little quicker. You can see him sort of waving people through and he's giving them the proper cursory checks, right? So he's not shirking any of his duties, but he is likely 
just riding out until he gets a retirement. That's what a lot of the guards here do. They're just looking for, you know, post-military career. They're looking to wait until pension can be drawn and then they can be good to go. He waves at you. Good morning, Miss Hart. Good morning, Charlie. Just a brief moment here. He takes a wand over you as you set. Do you carry a briefcase? Do you carry anything else into work? I do carry a briefcase. There's plenty of stuff I have to look at, and I have some of my personal research in the briefcase. Hmm. Okay, personal research. So that's an excellent question then. What type of personal research does Ms. Hart do? It regards missing persons. During my lunch breaks, I do what I can to dig up information on my sister who has been missing for 20 years. 20 years. So she went missing in 75. So why don't you clue us in maybe a little bit on where she went missing from and any of the, we'll just say grander details. So the family moved from Denver up to Fort Collins and it was the middle of summer. She was supposed to be heading over to a friend's house on her bike. It's like a 15 minute bike ride. And she never made it to the friend's house. And she and my mom were fighting a lot, as it was. She wanted to make more of her own decisions because she was just shy of 18 years old and wanted more freedoms than my mother was willing to give. Mm, yeah, that, that makes sense. And so just went missing. Never came home? No, never came home. The police didn't really, at the time, didn't really care. They had heard from neighbors and some of my sister's friends that there were problems mm -hmm. with our mom and with my dad who just didn't really care a whole lot. He wasn't really present for the family. He lived in the house, but he wasn't involved. And when my sister went missing, the police talking to everyone, it was determined that more than likely she ran away because she was just tired of the environment. That makes sense. You can imagine there's an awful lot of strife in the family after she was declared missing. Yeah. My mom divorced my dad. She blamed him for not being involved. And she figured it was better to remove me from him. So we moved in with my grandmother. And when she died, my mom took over that house. And that's up in Boulder. So we went just a little further north. So settling into your desk for the day is pretty routine. You have a fair amount of new documents to look through. Even really, we'll just say consolidated on email at this point. You do have that available to you, but internally here, a lot of the documents that the ONI uses are still done in paper format. And so you have, you know, essentially a case of like, a stack of case folders that you walk into every day. And today is no different. Your direct, we'll just say cubicle partner, they're not behind you or in front of you, they're to the side of you, is a man named Derek. Derek Cohaven has worked for ONI about five years longer than you have. He is not your superior in any way. He's just another agent, another officer here that works for the ONI to track what goes on. And he has been feverishly working for the past few weeks on a set of photographs and signals that are coming out off of the East China Sea. 
He's been very, very dedicated to that. You know that he's pulled a lot of really long hours. And you can tell that because when you walk in, briefcase in one hand, you know, all of the uh, additional accoutrement you may carry, uh, Derek is face down on his desk, asleep, having, you know, a couple cups of coffee that are nearby, one which is half full, and uh, he is very lightly snoring. Yeah, chances are I'm going to, you know, put my briefcase under the desk. I'm going to drape my light jacket since it is March. I don't really need anything super heavy. I'm going to drape that over my chair. I'm going to grab my coffee cup off of my desk and I'm going to go get a cup of coffee. Okay. You drape it over your chair. You see him uh, stir just a little bit, but he doesn't actually wake up and you head off to get coffee. Getting coffee doesn't take terribly long. It looks like a lot of the folks who were in the office were here earlier. There's a lady in administration, what sometimes they refer to as reception. And that's for not receiving people, but receiving information. She says hello to you. She's a pretty pleasant person all in all. You know, she's a mom, has three kids, and has worked uh, just probably that portion of the administration area for about five years. And she pours coffee for herself and then for you, because there's a, a couple of coffee pots going here in the break room. And she says, I think Derek's asleep. Yeah, he is. I'm going to wake him up. He needs to make it through the day because the last thing we need is for him to get sent home when he's been working so hard on that project. They're definitely seeing things that they're, they weren't expecting to. And um, I'm sure that he'll fill you in when you get over there. Yeah, I will probably be back to get him a cup of coffee in the next 10 or 15 minutes. I'll make sure to prepare uh, a fresh pot. Okay, thank you. You turn and head out of the break room and you see the rest of the office staff sort of beginning their assembled dance for the day, which is a breakdown in one of the director's rooms where they go over the latest intelligence and you know that Derek and you will probably need to be in that meeting. That's about 10 or 15 minutes, if not sooner. Yep. So I'm going to go set my coffee down and I'm going to put both my arms with my elbows just like shake his shoulders a little bit for a little more force instead of just my hands. Derek, hmm. come on, buddy. You got to get up. Oh, oh, wow. What time is it? He sits up from the desk, rubbing his eyes. He's got sort of thinning black hair that he combs straight back and sort of looks down and you hear the deep inhale from him as he tries to recenter himself. It's 8.15. It can't possibly be 8.15. Sure can. Why else would I be here? Glutton for punishment? Not as much as you, clearly. I think the last time I saw this desk, it was six. Everything else is a blur after that. So, go to the bathroom, you know, clean yourself up a little bit, and I will have coffee waiting for you before we have to go to the meeting. Yeah, I'll be back. He stands up and tries to, like, easily move towards the far end of the room where the bathrooms are and mumbles something about being back. The mail cart is coming through early. You can hear the squeaky wheel as one of the mailroom couriers uh, is already making morning drop-offs. This is a little early, but they sort of wait until either the mail cart gets full or when things that are hot come out, they begin delivering immediately. As it's coming by, you get past a packet. It's relatively thick. It looks like it's an inter-office thing because it's an envelope that's got the two wheels on it and the string. 
And there's a big long list of signatories and they ask you to sign it. Am I signing it to receive it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll sign the necessary things to get this giant heavy envelope. Yeah, you sign it and uh, the mail courier gives you like the best of luck look and then wheel the mail cart elsewhere. I really want to open this envelope, but I also know that we have this meeting coming up. Mm-hmm. So this is a wonderful opportunity for you to perhaps show us, Miss Hart, what kind of person you are. Are you the person that waits for the meeting or are you the person that opens the envelope anyway? I'm going to open the envelope and look at a couple top two sheets just so I kind of know what I'm getting into and if it's going to be pertinent and I'm probably going to take it with me into the meeting just in case it's something that people need to see. I'm not going to make it obvious that I'm holding it. It's just going to be in my hand tucked against my side. Yeah, you open the envelope up and it's got a couple of top sheets to it. It's fairly thick. It's at least two inches thick. It's also heavy, but you know why as soon as you open it. You open the interdepartment folder, you pull out the couple of sheets and you see the basic stuff, right? The stuff that's top secret, the stuff that's eyes only, etc. And then tucked into the center of this envelope is a VHS videotape. I'm going to pull it out and see if there's a label on it. Yeah, there's a label on it. You get a case number that sits on top of it as a marker. And then you get a date and the date is from 1992. And after that, it gives you the media number. So how many pieces of media information? This looks like it's number five. I'm going to take the VHS tape out and put it in the top drawer of my desk. Okay. Derek comes back. He looks like he's put his head under the sink and <laughs> tried to wake himself up. I think I'm good to go. Okay. And I'm going to give him my cup of coffee since I didn't uh, have time to get him a cup. Oh, thanks. So what do you think they want? No idea. But if everybody's gathering, you know they're going to want everybody gathered. So let's go over before we're late. He grabs a stack of paperwork that was on top of his desk. You have no idea whether or not it applies to anything. But uh, Derek's one big piece of advice to you has been, if you are in this building and you are going to or from a meeting, it's not a bad idea to look like you're carrying something because it means you're doing something. He says to you over his shoulder, I'm pretty sure that Paul is working on reviews, so probably want to act uh, busy. Well, we're pretty much always busy, but I will grab a few file folders and sandwich this giant envelope between them. Mm -hmm. So it looks like I have a much bigger stack Mm -hmm. and put a notepad and a pen on top of that so that I can take notes during the meeting if there's anything pertinent for me to take notes on. Fantastic. Well, you get into the meeting room and the staff assembles. There's probably 10 or 11 of you. And you are met then by your boss, Paul Sullivan, who stops into the room and shuts the door when he enters. O'Sullivan is a man in his 50s. He's mostly bald. He sort of hasn't given up having hair. He's in that transitional period that a lot of men in their mid-50s are where they're not really willing to give up having hair. You know, a couple of years ago, he tried to hide having implant surgery, toupees, etc. It never worked for him, and he finally gave up that process, but he hasn't completely shaven his head yet. O'Sullivan is a veteran of ONI for the past 20 years. He did a fairly reasonable stint in the Navy as well, 
like a lot of ONI folks do, you know for a fact he served aboard a ship for uh, about a decade before coming back to land. He is a relatively no-nonsense sort of boss, but he is also someone who is very good at making sure his people feel like they're empowered. He wants you to go out and work and go do the job that you're put in this position to do. So he isn't the best sort of enabler in that sense where he wants you to rely on what you do best. Morning, everybody. I imagine we all mumble good morning. Most people do. Derek doesn't really say anything. He's too busy drinking coffee. O'Sullivan takes the lectern and says, just really quick, just to go over some things. I want to make sure that we're all prepared with our eyes for the departmental meetings that happen on the 25th. You get a rollout, basically, of your boss's action items. They sort of drift into the background as you start thinking about the videotape and what could be on it. Your hands sweat a little bit thinking about where you're going to watch it at. I've never taken government property off premises before. No, I wouldn't imagine you would. And it's not to say that there aren't media units here, you know, TVs with VCRs in them that you could watch it on. I will probably do that during my break, right? Mm -hmm. When I take my lunch, I will probably opt to eat really as fast as I can Mm -hmm. and make it to a media room that doesn't have anybody in it. Most people don't use the media room during lunch. They want to use it during regular work because then they're doing something. Okay, so let's roll with that. The meeting with your boss, relatively speaking, is dry and sort of formatted. Derek gives an update on the situation in the East China Sea. Essentially, there are concerns that are stemming from some of the movements that they have seen recently. There are all of the stepped-up tensions when it comes to what China might be doing in some of their own movements, where their vessels are going. The big thing that Derek seems to open up with this meeting is that a couple of the vessels that they were tracking in certain spaces are gone. And it's unclear as to whether or not the Chinese military is aware of it or if there's some sort of technology at work here. And that gets your boss's attention pretty quickly. So Derek says that he's still working it up and that he's got a couple other people involved now. And uh, as soon as he knows something, you know, obviously everybody will be made aware of it. But we get to you in the signal room, Miss Hart, into this wonderful media room which basically consists of six or seven tables and a couple of televisions that are sort of strapped to carts with VCRs near them. You might have seen them in like a high school in the in the 80s or 90s. This is about the level of technology that you're keenly aware the government gives you. But one one thing that the media room does provide you with is quiet. So I'm going to keep the lights off, probably, since I would have to turn the lights on to come in here normally. But I don't really want anyone, if I can help it, anyone walking in. So I'm going to leave the lights off and I'm going to pop the tape into the VCR and just by default, turn the volume all the way down. So you give yourself a bit of a shrouded space to watch this videotape. What comes on is a little shocking. The grainy, fuzzy picture finally comes into view and you are viewing a, what looks like a residential backyard. There's no sound or 
least that you know of, given that the volume's down. And you are seeing three or four adults who seem to be around a swing set. And there are kids playing on the swing set. And for whatever reason, something inside you gets a little concerned about the kids. You start thinking like, okay, well, why would this come to the ONI? This looks like a regular, everyday, average suburban household. And maybe just a home video. And the camera view seems to not so much move, but the camera view seems focused on one individual. And this is a Caucasian man, roughly 5'10", maybe 5'11". He wears a Harley Davidson hat, has a black t-shirt on, blue jeans, bit of a fuzzy beard. Looks like any number of middle-aged dads that are sitting outside watching their kids play on the swings. And after a couple minutes, the kids go inside and you see the rest of the adults go in. And that's when the figure appears. There's a figure that enters the camera view. They are a little bit taller and a little bit thinner, but it isn't the figure that is the most difficult thing to understand because they right at first, they just look like a person in dark clothing. At least that's what you think. It's the way that they move across the camera. They start on the left-hand side and begin moving to the right. And it's like the person that's moving doesn't understand how to use their limbs. They don't move right. They don't walk or stride correctly. There's almost this jerky, rickety motion. And you see them begin to approach the man in the hat. And the man in the hat doesn't see them approach. And they get closer. And even closer. And you see the man in the hat reach into his back pocket and pull out a pack of cigarettes. And he seems to effortlessly pull one out reach back into his pocket and pull out some sort of object. And he takes a very long and simple turn, like he's going to look into the the deep part of the backyard. And you know that he'll see this person when he turns. You just know it. And then in a smooth and fluid motion, which does not at all line up with anything you'd seen the figure do before, The figure moves immediately to his position and seems to grab him and then pull him very quickly back out of the camera view, back into the deeper recesses of the yard, back to that left-hand side portion of where the camera view is at, back into the bushes, back into the trees, until both are completely swallowed up by the camouflage that the foliage gives. I'm going to rewind the tape back to when this dad is going to get grabbed and I'm going to turn the volume up just enough to see if there's any sound from disappearing into the bushes. All right. Why don't you give me the alertness roll? I rolled a 28 under 40, so a regular success. Okay. So you turn it up and turn it up. And when, what do you... Which part exactly are you going to go back to? I'm going to go back to right when the figure grabs him to pull him into the bushes. As soon as the figure grabs him, what you get is a huge amount of stereo feedback through the speakers. 
There's a, a harsh white noise. And then there is a little bit of a high-pitched electronic noise that comes afterwards. That electronic noise seems to be very high-pitched, and it comes up right at once. I'm going to pause the video. Okay. I'm going to pop it out of VCR. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go back to my desk. Okay. Is Derek at the desk? He's not. I'm putting that VCR tape in my briefcase. You slip it into your briefcase. Are you planning on working the rest of the day? Or are you going out on a late lunch? Or or what's Miss Hart's plan? I am going to leave early because I have a dentist appointment that I forgot about. So I'm going to leave about 90 minutes an hour early and drive home. All right. So this is what I would like from you then. You are going to be leaving this federal facility with a piece of evidence from a case file. And I think, why don't you roll luck for me? 45. 45 under or over? Uh, Under 50. You head back to your house. What are you doing when you get there? taking off my jacket and I'm going over to my own VCR and I'm putting that tape in. Okay. You put the tape in. I'm going to watch it with sound. Well, I'm going to rewind it all the way and then I'm going to watch it with sound. You begin watching the exchange with sound. You don't pick up a ton of whatever this camera was viewing. There's some light background when the kids are playing on the swing set. There are birds chirping, etc. There's a ring of a sounds like a bell. Maybe that's what draws the kids in. Maybe there's an ice cream truck out front. It's hard to say. There's a little bit of a a bell chime. You hear a couple of the other adults before they leave the picture say something about going and getting a drink. And uh, the guy in the hat says uh, he'll be in in a minute. And that's when Doom arrives shortly thereafter in the form of a figure which doesn't really make any cognitive sense. It's a blurry figure. Maybe they're wearing a jacket. Maybe they're wearing a hoodie. They don't move right. Is there any particular noise that accompanies this as soon as it appears? No, no, not really. There is no environmental change other than the lack of sound. When that figure arrives on the left-hand side of the camera lens, the birds stop chirping. And with it at full volume, I will give you a alertness roll. No, that is a 69 over 40. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, you get the same noise you did before. You get that white noise when they arrive on the spot with this man, and you get the high-pitched noise as they begin to drag him away. And as you slow it down and sort of really take a good long look at this figure that's grabbing somebody, you realize you can't really make a ton of distinction between their clothes and their skin. Maybe they're wearing gloves. This isn't the highest quality camera lens, obviously. Is there anything on the tape after that? There is. So you continue to watch the tape and probably a good five or so minutes later, the man with the hat walks back out from the left-hand side of the camera footage as if nothing happened. Walks into the yard, picks up the hat that dropped when he was grabbed and heads inside the house. And that's the end of the tape? That is the end of the tape. 
I'm going to watch the whole thing again. Okay. And I'm going to compare when he disappeared into the bushes versus when he came out of the bushes to see if there's anything specific about how he's walking, if there's something different with his face that I might be able to see. Okay. So that sounds like a human role. I'm trying to sort of read body language, that sort of thing. Yeah. That is a 33 under 50. So doubles in Delta Green are critical success. I'll give this to you on a critical success only. You are having a hard time lining up a lot of his body language with regular old human body language. I think the thing that sticks out the most to you is you begin to slow this tape down and watch each and every one of his movements, this, this figure's movements, especially after they come back onto screen. Is there is a frame of this camera angle where the man in the hat looks up and seemingly looks towards where the camera is and then continues to walk into the house after, you know, taking their attention away. Okay, well, I'll pull out a notepad that I keep nearby and take some just very basic notes, nothing that would be suspicious. Mm -hmm. Just like notes on like a home video that my mom and I made before she started getting worse. Something like that. Stuff that's just very generic notes. And I'm going to leave it in my VCR, at least for right now. I'm not going to take it back to the office in the morning because I might want to look at it again. Okay. So we'll say that a night and then the next day at work passes. Are you doing anything else differently that next day at work? I'm going to look through the contents of that envelope that I was given that was so thick, which is probably less thick now that I took the VCR tape out of it. And I will probably wait until my lunch because I imagine Derek and I lunch at the same time. Mm -hmm. So I will be looking over that. Even if he's still there, I'll be looking at it. And if he asks what it is, I'll just say it's a side project. He probably does look at it a little bit, probably asks about it. But once you tell him it's a side project, he probably doesn't pay it very much mind. He's uh, in pretty deep with his own project right now, active. So he does update you and tell you that uh, it isn't two ships. It's one ship that seems to be missing now that they've gone back and confirmed their data. And there's evidence that suggests that, that it may be a vessel has gone down and they don't know why. And so that's really where they're trying to figure out, okay, what, what happened to this piece of military hardware and what do they need to know about it, what they need to, to potentially do about it or inform. So he's he's writing a lot of reports. He tells you that he's going to get back at it, but let him know if you need anything. Yeah, and I don't because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be focused on this side project of mine. So you head home uh, that second night and delve deeper into this tape. The tape does have a fair amount of audio portions of it that are a little hard to explain. With the additional work that you put in on it, you realize that the high-pitched noise seems to peak when the subject is grabbed, and you think it might be a scream that comes from the person, and it begins to unsettle you quite a bit. After your study of this tape, I am going to have you make me a sandy roll versus the unnatural. So I rolled a zero two. Okay. Under 80. All right. 
So it's unsettling. You'll take a point of sanity loss from viewing the tape multiple times and coming to realize that whatever is on the tape is likely not human or at least not very well explainable as human. And worse yet, it seems to have grabbed someone and then that person came out from, you know, the bushes behind their house and began their life again as if something, if nothing ever happened. It's deeply unsettling. And it's probably eight or nine o'clock at night when you make that realization. And that's when there's a knock on your door. I'm going to take out the tape and put it in the bottom part of my console because the TV is mounted with entertainment system, pretty low to the ground. And where the VCR is, it has doors. So I'm just going to take the tape out of the VCR and tuck it in the back behind other VCR tapes just because if it is someone from work and it is someone who might be looking for it, it's going to be harder to find because my VCR will be empty. Absolutely. And then I will go and open the door. You go and open the door. There is a man in a dark suit, blue tie, we'll say overcoat, probably black overcoat. Pretty common in DC. He's got gray hair, well aligned, (laughs) probably a little too well aligned. He has nice blue eyes. He seemingly has a genial smile and he says, Miss Joanne Hart? Yes. He reaches into his pocket and produces identification. My name is Agent Hull. I'm with the FBI. Do you have a few moments? Uh, sure. And I'll open the door and let him in. Do you want a cup of coffee? Oh, no, that's okay. He shuts the door. I'll uh, gesture to the couch for him to sit on, and I will sit on the footstool part of the love seat so that I'm distanced a little bit, but not so far away that it looks suspicious. So we're just uh, following up a lead here. There was a incident yesterday at uh, one of the local offices, and I think some mail may have gotten inappropriately delivered to you. Well, I did sign for a package that was a little on the heavier side. We understand that. Did you watch the tape, Miss Hart? There wasn't a tape. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to roll human for me now. Because as the listeners and I know, you are a damn liar. He uh, smirks a little bit. You could make a persuade roll if you'd like to attempt to make this a believable story. I mean, hey, 43 under 50. Yeah, uh, he has you staged by successes at this point. He gives you a smirk. I get that's the canned answer you probably thought up the last 12 or 24 hours. But I know for a fact there was a tape in that envelope. And I also know that you weren't supposed to get it. Well, since I've been found out, right? Yes, I watched the tape. He seems to um, shake his head. You see his eyes sort of go to the ground and he shakes his head. Okay. That tape, I need it. Puts his hand out. I'll go over to my entertainment system and I'll pull it out and I'll give it to him. I imagine that I'll be turning in my credentials. He takes the tape. Why don't you roll bureaucracy for me? 56 under 16. There's no way the FBI would have clearance to go in and question anyone in ONI. He doesn't have the credentials or the authority to ask anything of you. 
he would have to go to your director, you'd have to schedule an interview. Now, all the stuff that you've done has been by your own volition. But when you hand in the tape, you sort of begin to put a couple things together and you're like, wait, this doesn't make any sense. So I'm not going to let go of the tape. Okay. If you're here to collect this tape and you know that it was delivered to me, I'm pretty sure that I don't have to give this to you if I don't want to. You see his hand get a little strained from the physical force he starts putting behind pulling the tape away from you. And he says, I understand you're a very curious person, Miss Art. Your record shows that. But you need to be very careful about what you're talking about. Well, I haven't told anyone else about this. That's good. We appreciate that. Everyone appreciates that. In fact, one of the best things you could possibly do with your life choices at this point, and he wrenches the tape from you, would be to never speak about this tape. It didn't happen. It doesn't exist. And what about that file? That's still my work, and I've been actively looking through it. I tell you what, you looking through the file and looking through the tape is sort of the same problem. You've contaminated yourself a little bit when it comes to information you shouldn't have. And so you really have two choices. You can continue to keep your mouth shut. You can send that file, the paperwork for it, to this address. He reaches into his jacket and pulls out a piece of paper. Or... Your boss will find out tomorrow morning that there's been an intelligence breach and that you took government information and evidence from an installation and you will turn in your credential and your career will effectively be over. Which one would you prefer? I spent a long time getting this position. I'm not sure I'm ready to give it up yet. But I also know secrets when I see them and I encountered that a lot when I was overseas. It's not something I'm going to drop easily. Okay. So perhaps a third road then, if you're really willing to sort of fuck your entire life up. The third road is you stay quiet about this. You eventually become someone useful. Somebody who can take on investigations, can be called upon to do intelligence work. You dedicate vacation days, PTO time. You really get in and dig deep. That's been my job description for a very long time. It wouldn't be anything new as far as that goes. The first test is to see if you can keep your mouth shut. See if you can do as you're told. Can you follow orders or not? Yeah, I can. Then don't say a word. Follow instructions. When the time is right, someone will reach out to you. Is there a time frame? As needed. When we decide. It could be you. It could be a group. Hard to say. The less structure we discuss the more likely something is what we discuss doesn't even exist so these are the equivalent of secret operations that will stay behind many many layers of red tape that no one ever sees because it'll be mixed in with other things we work like hell to make sure it's not seen he puts the tape into his coat i'm in You are when we say you are. For now, just follow orders. Stay quiet. Stay ready. I'll go over and open the door. He walks out without another word. And I think that is a wonderful time for us to end. 
so thank you for joining us for Miss Hart's Prelude. I hope you've enjoyed the third in our series of Delta Green Preludes as we prepare for Operations of Plenty here on the Old Ways Podcast. Thank you and good night. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.